I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend when i was down you just stood there grinning you got a lot of nerve to say you got a helping hand to lend you just want to be on the side that's winning you say i let you down you know it's not like that if you're so hurt why then don't you show it you say you lost your faith but that's not where it's at you had no faith to lose and you know it This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and I am super happy to have my friend Corey Drew on Pod Dylan for the first time. Hi, Corey. Hola. How's it going? It's great. I we, we've been talking about doing this for a long time, and of course, you've been on a bunch of the network shows. You've been on uh, Give Me That Star Trek a bunch of times. You've been on Film and Water. You've been on Mashcast, uh, yep. and of course, uh, you are in talks to replace Shag on the Fire and Water show. Of course, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a natural born Firestorm fan. Right? Yeah, I'll, I'm going to take that part out. Don't worry about it. So, uh, but but this is your first appearance on Pod Dylan. So before we get to the song, everybody knows what song we're talking about, which is positively Fourth Street, probably the meanest song in in Bob's catalog. <laughs> I would say, <laughs> yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Um, okay. I have to ask you, how did you become a fan? So I I come at Bob Dylan quite late in life. I was probably 25 or 26. Um, it was late nineties. Uh, I was, uh, in a relationship with somebody at the time who was a very big fan of the, we'll call it the Lilith fair oeuvre of music. <laughs> uh, and as a result, I became a very big fan of, uh, you know, folk songs frequently played with, you know, simple guitar, you know, more lyrically based stuff. But honestly, I, I wasn't, I wasn't into Dylan at that point at all, but um, I liked country music, um, specifically old country music. And I was I was working at uh, at Borders at the time, and I was working with a, a, an older gentleman named Bob, who discovered my uh, my like of old country music and um, girls with guitars, <laughs> and somehow it led him down this path to suggest to me John Prine. Uh, and I was like, sure, I'll listen to anything, whatever. So he made a series of John Prine mixtapes for me and interspersed, uh, in, in the, in the midst of all of these John Prine songs, he interspersed, um, songs from, uh, Blonde on Blonde. Hmm. Okay. I don't know why he chose to do this, but, uh, it worked. Like (laughs) I was like, wait a second what's this song? <laughs> you know, I, and, and I mean, obviously I had the, the, um, Dylan awareness that you have, if you grew up anytime in the post, you know, 1960s United States. Um, right. He's like a historical figure. Yeah. That. Yeah. And you know, I'm from Maine, uh, which I, I probably mention on every podcast. Um, <laughs> but there's a big folk music, uh, appreciation there. A lot of, a lot of hippies moved to Maine, um, to kind of go back to the earth and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of, uh, PBS tote bag having Peter, Paul and Mary listening, <laughs> you know, tofu and yogurt making people, uh, 
so, you know, I had that awareness, maybe more than other people did, uh, because of those tote bags. Uh, and so, you know, um, when I, when I heard this stuff from him that I didn't want, I didn't know was, was from him. Like, um, uh, Lay Lady Lay was on that mix, uh, tape and I, I liked that song, just, you know, didn't know it was heard, heard it on the radio, didn't know it was Dylan. I don't think it sounds like a typical Dylan song. No. no. Um, and when I was, you know, so interspersed with all that john prine was dylan and i was like what you know where where can i find this and then he he put uh he he recorded uh blonde on blonde for me uh on cassette and gave me that and uh it was a trick like he was definitely trying to jedi mind trick me into liking bob dylan (laughs) because after i did he was like oh i am so happy i can remember him he was a slight man balding hair uh, white beard and he he clasps his hands together like right at the center of his chest and he's like I am so happy you like Bob Dylan <laughs> <laughs> and and that's where it stopped unfortunately he he passed away not long after that but oh. um so it, you know the combination of it being one of my favorite times professionally um uh, age when I, I love you know, I think in your mid twenties, that's like your big record buying years. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. You don't have homes and kids and responsibilities as much as you know you might later in life. Um, concert going, record buying years, uh, and you know his uh, untimely death just sort of cemented that in in my mind. And ever since, you know, I've been a fan. I, I, I'm not a super fan like yourself. Um, uh, another friend of mine, John, who you know as well, also super fan. Uh, I, I, but I am, um, I, I, I do enjoy. I'm not an aficionado, but I, I do enjoy a great deal. That's an amazing story. You've never told me that. I, I never heard that. That's 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 remarkable. I really love that story. That seems like like it's like that's your takeaway from your time with with this guy. You know, is that he it's gave this to you? Yeah. Every time I listen to anything by Bob Dylan or John Prine. Um, or uh, Bonnie Raitt, because she happened to cover a John Prine song, famously. Uh, I immediately think of the time that I got to spend with him, working with him, and and he was just a very dear man and kind and funny and, like, kind of the point where, like, it made people wary of him. (laughs) Hmm. You know, like, he'd show up and just have a cup of coffee for you. Oh, I was walking by, saw you were here, I grabbed a cup of coffee for you. Wow. Yeah. Like, you know, but some people, um, I think the 90s was heavy in irony and it was uh, hard (laughs) to take earnestness at its face value sometimes. And yet that's who that's all. That's that's great. I love that story. I mean, of course, it said you met this guy through Borders and you and I would not be here had we not met at Borders. Right. We worked there, too. So it all. How many great things in my life came about because of that company that is now defunct? Yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So, all right. Well, that's, that is fantastic. I love that. I love that story. Um, I am kind of curious as, as to why you picked this song because, look, I'm, you know, we all have our moments, but I generally regard you as a very uh, kind of even keeled, very kind 
person, and yet you picked the meanest song, as I said, in the, in the Dylan catalog, I would I would argue. I mean, I always make jokes about Ballad in Plain D, which is, like, to me, the biggest asshole song he's ever recorded because it was so specifically aimed at two people. But right. this, this one is really vicious. It uh, is I mean, so vicious. This is, this is after, of course, he recorded this during the Highway 61 sessions, uh, and apparently it was uh, at, at some point originally planned to be on that record, uh, and then he decided, no, we're leaving it off, and it was released as a separate single uh, on September 7th, 1965. It, it is one of only a handful of, of Dylan songs that were only done as singles. But, of course, again, this is sort of a response as much as anything, as you could point to any event as, well, this is the reason he did the song, was his re- the, the reception he got at the Newport Folk Festival, where he, you know, he went electric. I mean, now it's this ridiculously legendary moment in the man's right. career. And this is him just as pissed as he's ever been <laughs> at people. And, and, I mean, not only I think it's just, it's an incredibly catchy song, um, one of the things I find so interesting about it is, of course, you you read all the words to all the songs on Highway 61, and they're all very uh, psychedelic. You know, you've mm-hmm. got the, the the Siamese cat and and uh, Einstein disguised as Robin Hood and all of this stuff, and yet this song is incredibly straightforward. I mean, there's no psychedelia in this song at all. This is just no. a guy yelling at people. I mean, yeah. I, I I quoted the. Um, early part of the song and then he goes on and he says you know i know the reason that you talk behind my back i used to be among the crowd you're in with do you take me for such a fool to think i'd make contact with the one who tries to hide what he don't know to begin with you see me on the street you always act surprised you say how are you good luck but you don't mean it when you know as well as me you'd rather see me paralyzed why don't you just come out once and scream it yeah. <laughs> so what is it about this song that made you want to talk about it? Of, of all the ones you could have picked, why this one? So there are a couple of reasons. Um, one, I love a diss track. I just love them. Uh, you know, <laughs> like I I think, I, I, you know, we we there's so many love songs, you know, and there's so many songs about, you know, pr- this time protest songs. And right. Most of pop music, though, was saccharine uh, and just kind of, you know, you know, I was looking when, when I was doing research for this, I was looking at the uh, the Billboard Hot 100 for this. And there was just like songs from, you know, Broadway musicals and jazz pieces and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff that you wouldn't see on a pop chart. Right. Right. Occupying the same space as a song like this. But. Um, I, I like the fact, uh, that it's, that it's angry. And, and I mean, I ha- so there's something about a diss track that I love. I don't know what it is, whether it's this, uh, whether it's a variety of, of, you know, half of the hip hop catalog <laughs> that I listen to, uh, it, whether it's you're so vain by Carly Simon or you want to know by Alanis Morissette, like I like a diss track. There's something about it that I love. Um, it just seems to come from a place that's every bit as pure and every bit as primal as a love song, but just doesn't get talked about much. And it's, it's cool to see it exercised, um, in the form of, of a song. Um, so there's that. Um, and then there's also, I'm a, uh, a, a, a big fan of the beats. 
Um, by that I mean like the the poets and the writers, right, not necessarily beats the song yet, right? Um, and uh, and this feels to me, I don't know, I don't have a historical context other than this was happening right around the same time, um, maybe maybe later in the in the movement, but. Uh, it has a kind of beat feel to me in that it, it feels stream of consciousness. Uh, it, it feels like he sat down to to just get his thoughts on paper, um, regardless of, uh, you, you know, structure. There's no chorus nope. in the song. There's no repeated refrain. It, right, he, and he never says positively Fourth Street. Right. I mean, it's never right. hear that. To me, I mean, I, honestly, uh, you know, pardon my language, but I—, I I think he chose positively for street cause he couldn't call it fuck off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like he just couldn't put that on a record title, you know? Um, and I just, and, and the, um, and, and I love that. I love the, the sort of, uh, almost beat poetry feel almost uh, Allen Ginsbergian kind of feel that it has, um, to it where it, it just sort of starts it's it's a complete idea from start to finish um and and it's uh it, it just feels very um like lyrically it feels very stream of consciousness but musically it's almost like the chorus is is the music right because it's the same you know it's it's a very simple um progression it's it's a very simple series of, of of notes and beats that repeat themselves and there is a musical chorus in it um which is kind of like that like almost that hurdy-gurdy sound at the beginning mm-hmm. it's repeated throughout so it's almost like there is this other song happening behind it while he's just like and fuck you and fuck you and fuck you, you know what i mean <laughs> so it's like I, I i love that about it i mean this has some of the <laughs> Some of the meanest language <laughs> I have ever read in, you know, like when he, you know, when he says uh, when he says that he he wishes that just one time that you could stand inside his shoes and just for that moment he could be you. And then for just that one time you could stand inside his shoes and you'd know what a drag it is to see you. Yeah. That is the meanest damn thing that has ever been written. That is so vicious. I mean, that is teeth and nails and clawing. It's just like that one line just lights up my day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially when you think about that in, in the, around this time and there's there's video footage of this. You can see it in the Don't Look Back movie of like so many people wanted to be in his orbit. Because right. he was the avatar of cool at that right. point. I mean, one of the things uh, that I've read about or I've seen other people say that, like, yeah, like, I mean, the ultimate cool is the Beatles. But but the, the, the cool of the Beatles was dispersed across four people. Right. So you could have your favorite Beatle. You know, you could be like, well, I kind of like the more Ringo of the, the – or I'm more of a George. I'm more of the – but right. with Dylan, it was concentrated into one guy. This is the guy. And there were so many people who wanted to be cool in Bob's eyes. And when they weren't, it was devastating. And here he is talking to some very specific people, presumably the people that, you know, live down in the village and right. were part of that whole folky movement. That's the term, Fourth Street. It's right out of the, uh, the Fourth Streets from the, from the village. Right. And to, to say to somebody, like, I am going to take the time to write this down about how much I hate you. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to make the effort. And I'm glad you mentioned the melody because the melody is really pretty. I mean, on top of this it very is. pretty song, I mean, you've got this great Al Cooper organ. It's almost like a circus kind of. It's kind of a tone to it. It's it's like for lack of a better phrase, it's sing songy. It's yeah. It's like it's like something you would almost hear like a Disney princess singing while birds were landing on her finger. You know what I mean? Like, and and then on top of it is just this dark, angry, and fed up. Like I like I mean I think that is as much the emotion that I get from this as as you know angry. I think fed up, just over it, man. Like. <laughs> uh, you know, I was reading the theories about who this song could be about. And, you know, we won't know. Right. He'll never say it's like you're so yeah. gay. Maybe, maybe he'll pass it along to somebody on The Tonight Show and that person will have to go to their de- their death with it. But um, <laughs> but f- like for me, I just feel like this is his sort of conversation that he's having with the folk community that kind of you know, threw him under the bus a little bit when he decided to get experimental with electric and, and, you know, like, cause that was a big controversy like that, you know, people really felt like that was a problem. And, and I don't know if the timing coincides with that, but it, it, even if it doesn't, I feel like he sensed it coming, you know what I mean? Like, because there's lines in here, like where he says, you just want to be on the side that's winning. Like he's saying, Literally, you just want to be you just want to be in with whatever is happening at the moment. And, you know, if if that changes at all, then you you want you're going to bail. And not only are you going to bail, but you're going to cast aspersions and, and throw shade, to use the colloquialism, uh, on people because of it. And he's just done. Like, he's like, no, I'm not having that. Yeah. I mean, he is always I mentioned this on other episodes. I mean, like he is. More than anything else, I'd say suspicious of uh, power structures, mm-hmm. you know, of, of any power structure. And whether it's – again, it's – I think I might have even literally said this in the previous episode. So I, I apologize for repeating myself. But whether it's in a romantic relationship, whether it's in government, uh, whether – you know, and, or, or just social dynamics, he doesn't like groups that decide this is the approved thing. He just can't stand that, and he is going to – and sometimes just uh, – you know, sometimes it's destructive. I mean in a knee-jerk response. I mean famously he gave that – he won – he got the Tom Paine Award in, in December of 63, and he gave up – went up and gave this drunken speech, and he talked about how he could sympathize with Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean imagine saying that a month after the Kennedy assassination. Say, I mean hearing a pop star say something like that, and that that's one of those moments where he took I think his sort of knee-jerk – reactions a little too far like he was like all right bob well you know let's rein it in a little here right but when he's doing it in the form of song i mean again he is exploring these these new ideas in song and here his his folk crowd saying no 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 you're one of us you can't do that and that just right. made, that just makes him like as you just say you know fuck you then you know right. okay then this is what this is i mean he continues on and he's, i mean again for a short song i mean the song is only like three minutes and change right and he it's got a lot of verses i mean he gets through it and he says no yeah. i do not feel that good when i see the heartbreaks you embrace if i was a master thief perhaps i'd rob them and now i know you're dissatisfied with your position and your place don't you understand it's not my problem by the way i love that rhyme scheme rob them problem is great yeah. and then again then he ends it with what you just 
quoted. He says, uh, you know, I wish for just that one more time. You could stand inside my shoes and just for that one moment, I could be you. Yeah. And then he says, you'd know what a drag it is to see you. And he's just like, that is the final word on these people. So cutting. You know, just like, I don't care. I'm done. And as much as I, just as someone who is a music listener, I always get a little twitchy about songs that get released on singles only because it just feels like they're like these weird little orphans. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I remember years ago, I had a friend who was a mega Beatles fan, and I asked him what album Hey Jude is on. And he's like, oh, that's not on an album. That's a single. I'm like, what? You know, that's yeah. not on a Beatles album. And so I w- on the one hand, I wish this had been on Highway 61 just because then it would be part of that album. But at the same time, that album is already so caustic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you throw this one in, it would just be too much. So it, it sort of stands alone as this sort of very powerful statement. And it is by far his most popular single. I mean, Dylan was never much of a singles act. Uh, he followed it up with Can You Please Crawl Out Your Window, which didn't really register. And then he did George Jackson, both songs that we've all we've actually covered on the show before. But this is the single like uh, of all the ones he released just the songs by itself and it's it's lived on i mean he's gone on and he's continued to play it uh it's done he's done it 359 times oh since he came out which isn't really all that much considering the song is more than 50 years old at this point i've seen him live i've seen him do it live at the uh roseland ballroom show that i went to where he brought out springsteen and neil young at the end he did it on did it that night wow so it's, it's obviously something that it, no name dropping or anything. No, no name dropping. Hey, I didn't wasn't I? You know, I was just happy to be there. <laughs> um, but I, this is one of the top five moments of my life. Help me. Yeah, I watched it, it on YouTube. Okay, so there you go. Um, but like, it's interesting when you think that he's still performing it. He last performed it in 2013. He obviously finds something in it for him to continue to play. He's right. no longer mad at the folkies. That that you know that that argument's been settled. But it's it's interesting what he might still find in it to play, uh, and to and uh, you know, he finds some reward in it because he's still doing it, even though obviously the object of his ire is long since passed. For but sure. I mean, it works. It, it, I sing along to it every time I play it because it is it's it's so cathartic to sing along to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it, it is. It, that's that's a perfect word for it. It's cathartic, you know, and, and um, you know, it can have all this density of lyric because again no no chorus like right it just ignores typical song structure and is is really more of a a poem with music you know right the lines are so short i mean they're all like three mm-hmm. or four words at, at you know five or six at the most as opposed to again the 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 crazy uh you know phantasmagoria of highway 61 and blonde on blonde where the lines got longer and longer and more and more complex these are short they're like short little punches and it was. I, it's interesting you you sort of put this in the context of the diss track, because it's funny because a lot of diss tracks I think probably don't age that well, because right. they get you get tired of it. You're just like, all right, this person's sort of screaming into the into the void here. But this song has, it's I, yeah, to me it still sounds fresh, fifty five years later. And again, even though I'm not mad at the folk, you know what I mean? Like whatever he's mad at, that's not <laughs> what I'm mad about. But it, you can transpose it and be like, well, you're just mad at somebody. And again, that that final line of the idea of I wish I was you so you could see how bad you are yeah. is so inventive, such a weird way of putting it, and yet so brutal. <laughs> I mean, y- you hate someone so much 
that you would be willing to literally transform into them <laughs> just to give them the idea of how much you hate them. Like that is like <laughs> that is biblical. I mean, that is that is Old Testament wrath right there. That is not just, you know, that is face melting Ark of the Covenant stuff. <laughs> Right. And even the title, I mean, again, the word positively, right. there's this sort of sneering it's kind so, of you're positively, you know, you're just you're so totally this thing. It's so you're, snarling. You know, you're for, yeah. you're positively Fort Street. It's so and it was uh, it, uh, that that particular word phrase lived on. The, the, there's a book about Dylan and Joan Baez from that time called by David Haju. Uh, and he named the book Positively Fourth Street. Yes, I, yes, I read that book. Right, and that's a great. He also wrote that great book about comic books, the uh, the, the Ten Cent Plague. Yes, uh, and right. so I mean that's you know, I mean it bars that phrase. I read and now that book as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, there were a bunch of covers of this song. The most famous one is probably by a guy named Johnny Rivers, who Dylan later said he actually likes that version more than his own version. I think Bob's is probably being a little nice. Uh, I liked it. I listened to it on YouTube. It's very slow. It's like almost six minutes. And it just, to me, doesn't have that that punch to it the way Dylan's version does. Dylan's right. is just, you know, three and a half minutes and then you're out and you're just sort of left there like just devastated. And like I said, I can only imagine if you were one of these people who lived in the, the village at the time and you knew that Dylan was specifically talking about you, how gut-wrenchingly awful that had to feel. You know, just like, oh, man, I, this guy. I can't even conceive of it. Like, uh, like I think – like I was thinking about this the other day and I'm like – what if there is a person like what if it's art garfunkel right and like <laughs> art garfunkel knows that this song is about him and he just lays there you know at night just seething like oh oh yeah, yeah. you know what bob well well guess what uh bridge over trouble waters how about that you know <laughs> yeah. like like it just like i i it if it is about a person which i'm very skeptical of but if it is that person knows it and can you just imagine Assuming they're still alive, their whole life is spent knowing that this scathing well, <laughs> song was written about them. It's sort of funny because like, I went on, on Wikipedia and and I looked up some information and there were a bunch of people who did who later gave interviews and said that they maybe thought that the song was about them. And that's that's got its own sort of worthy uh, backstory to kind of contemplate, because, of course, if. You know, nobody wants to be the target of a vicious song like this. But at the same time, it's an ego boost for yourself because you, Bob Dylan thought you were so important that he wrote a song about you. You know what right. I mean? It's like you're yeah. you're almost willing to take the diss to to gain the notoriety of like, well, you know, I was so important in this guy's life that uh, that's how much he hates me. It's It's got its yep. own level of infamy kind of that goes along with it. Oh, sure. Yeah. It, it, it makes you an arch nemesis of, right. you know. <laughs> One of pop culture's great heroes. Right, like, right, right. Yeah, it's amazing. You be suddenly you're Lex Luthor. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I, I know earlier I said that uh, that you know it felt very um, stream of consciousness, and and it does, but but at the same time you know that it's not because he's such a wordsmith. Like in that in the line that we uh, referenced earlier, he says, "If you're hurt, why then don't you show it?" Mm-hmm. Like that's not. Like he said that so that it stayed within the rhyme and meter of this, uh, you know, he wrote it that way so that it stayed within the rhyme and meter, you know, obviously, because that's not how a person would speak. Right. You know, they would probably say, then why don't you show it? Um, But, you know, because he knew that why then created a better flow, you know, he he wrote it that way. And, And so that just, again, to me, 
it shows his his skill, you know, his excellence in making something, writing something that is clearly just very well written, but that feels like it just flowed out of him, you know, into a mic, and then he just mic drops and walks out. <laughs> right. Yeah, there are um, there are multiple takes of this. You can hear it on the Bootleg Series Volume Twelve. None of them. Uh, I haven't made a big study of it. None of them I thought were particularly as memorable as the, the, the final version. I think this is one of the times where he – the version that was released is the one that, that ended up being the, the right one to release. I didn't hear any alternates that made me go, oh, my God, you know, the, oh, that take. You should have done that take. But I do want to ask you, Corey, about this one – there's one uh, chunk of words that I – chunk of words um, – that I'm never quite able to figure out what he's talking about. And I wonder what you – think that it means that it's the line about where he says i do not feel that good when i see the heartbreaks you embrace if i was a master thief perhaps i'd rob them what in your mind what exactly does that mean i think he's talking about shitty uh, folk music musicians i think you know if it, in my theory it, that this song is to the folky community i think he's saying look you embrace all of these just sell out you know hacks and, you know, or heartbreaks in his word, uh, and that, you know, he, they want him to be like them, and he's not having it. He's like, well, I guess if I was a thief, I'd rob them. But he's not. He's going his own way. He's doing his own thing. That actually is one of the – it's funny that you asked that. That's one of the lines that, when listening to it, made me think this isn't about a person. This is about a community of people. Right. <laughs> like, this is not about a single individual. Um and that's the the line that that made me think he's singing this to the people who are his fans who are pressuring him or abandoning him or who who are maybe fans of the movement but not necessarily of what he does or or, or maybe even don't understand how important he is to it right right because yeah. i mean there shortly after he kind of diverges i would say from a traditional folk music uh, patois for a lack of a better word <laughs> uh he folk music you know becomes the purview of of f- uh fun drives on pbs like I, you know i mean it, it <laughs> back to the tote bags back to the tote bags um you know i mean the, the folk music scene it never goes away but it changes dramatically in it and it um i think it loses some of its cultural cachet uh, not long after Dylan is like, I'm doing my own thing. And, uh, you know, I, to me, I think maybe he was kind of like, oh, you know, I a lot of this, you know, I lifted a lot of this whole thing up on my shoulders and I'm not going to take what other people are doing and assume that that's what I should be doing because, you know, it's just not how it's going to work. <laughs> it's sort of funny that he uses the phrase, if I was a master thief, when, of course, he had he had been accused a lot of times of stealing other people's melodies and stealing lines from songs. I mean, so that's I always feel like that's him almost tweaking that audience even further. You know, he's right. sort of like, if I was a master thief, but of course, a lot of people would say he's a master thief. There are people that do. I mean, he does steal lines here and there. Now, you can your mileage may vary about whether you feel that that's appropriate or not. But nevertheless, I think that's again, it's him just getting like another dig in, you know, just sort of like playing up to his reputation. Oh, if I was a master thief, I'm like, OK, yeah, he's just poking and he's continually right. poking at these people. Uh, yeah, it said it, it really is. It, it's hard to do this kind of put down. 
uh, that generally and make it work and make it the kind of thing that you want to keep hearing over and over again. But it was a it was a big hit. It ended up on his greatest hits compilation, which came out less than like about two years later. And it's just been again, it's always been been part of the culture. It's been part of his repertoire. It's one of his most famous songs. Uh, said it's just a it's a real kick in the gut, and yet mm-hmm. it's uh, eminently listenable. So <laughs> it's the most pleasant kick in the gut you're ever going to listen to. <laughs> Fair enough. So, well, I said, I think that is going to do it for for Positively 4th Street. Corey, uh, I am super glad we finally had a chance to do this. We've been talking about you coming on Pod Dylan for a long time, so I'm glad we had finally a chance to do it. Me too. This is, uh, um, I I am a big listener, and it's nice to be able to uh, sit down and discuss it with you. Absolutely. So we have, uh, you have some other appearances on the network uh, coming up, right? Do you have another Star Trek? I think you have in your future with with Ciscoid? I do. Yeah. Okay, right. There's another. So you got another Star Trek coming, and I know you're going to be on Mashcast for season two, and I know that we are going to do a film and water at some point on Into the Spider Verse. Yes, uh, because we saw that movie together, and we both sat there gobsmacked that this was yep. <laughs> the movie existed. And, and, <laughs> Holy and shit! It three times since then. <laughs> oh wow! I got to catch up. All right, it's on iTunes. I got to I got to watch it again. So you have a bunch of appearances on the network uh, coming up, and so everybody for look forward to hearing more of Corey on the network. And you have some other things that you and I are working on uh, at yeah. some point that will that will that will uh, eventually be revealed. So we all have that to look forward to too. So again, thank you once again, man. It's always I'm always happy to talk to you. Same. All right. So thanks everybody for listening. Of course, if you want to subscribe to the show, you go to iTunes, you can go to Stitcher, and you can listen to back episodes there or on the website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. And we're always talking, Bob, over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you later. Bye. No, I do not feel that good when I see the heartbreaks you embrace. If I was a master thief, perhaps I'd rob them. With your position and your place Don't you understand It's not my problem I wish that for just one time You could stand inside my shoes And just for that one moment I could be Just one time you could stand inside my